0: All right. Good morning, Three Circle. Great to be with you guys today. All of our campuses joining us right now and all of those online. We are kicking off a series today that I think is going to be a very important series for our church and uh, for the future of our church and for the future of us as believers here in our communities. It's called Thriving in Babylon. How many of you wake up sometimes and you're like, I don't know how we got here. I don't recognize the world I'm in anymore. Anyone, anyone saying that kind of stuff? If you use phrases like if you have kids and you go, or, or grandkids and you go, I'm concerned about the world my kids and my grandkids are gonna grow up in. It's changing so fast. Laws being like, saw law get passed out west uh, just this past week that you, you just go, how, are, how is this happening? What's going on? And I think we tend to believe sometimes That these things are unprecedented that we're the first ones to deal with this and we're not this is not unprecedented in fact believers throughout the generations have dealt with these things and so what we want to do during the thriving in babylon series is equip ourselves through the word of god to be able to navigate in a faithful way the world in which we live because this is the world god's chosen for us we're here now so I, do, I, I hope you know that Dwight Eisenhower in the 50s aren't walking through the door anytime soon, okay? Like whatever world you think was great and you think, well, that's when things were good. And I promise you that your, your black brothers and sisters didn't think that world was good. Just a heads up. So there's whole sections of us that think that different times were just so great. And, and folks, we live in a fallen world. So, so believers gotta be smarter than that, better than that, think better than that. And for us to go, no, 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 we want a biblical worldview. Now, what this series is going to demand, I'm going to just go ahead and start off by sticking the, the spoon into the pot and stirring it up, all right? Our authority has to be God's word. Our authority is not Fox News. Our authority is not CNN. Is that even handed enough right there? Can I just go, can we do that? right? That all right. Your, your authority is not that podcast you listen to or the guys hammering away at whatever thing you're so passionate about. It's not your favorite Twitter person who says the things you like all the time that you, you kind of ignore the things that are crazy. They say, but the things they say that are good, you like, it's not whatever little bubble you like to live in. No, no. It's the word of God has to be our authority, and that's what we're going to do during this series. We're going to come back and go, okay, what does the Bible tell us about how to live in a world like this? Now, two resources I want to tell you about really quickly uh, that are important. Number one, a resource to help us as we go through this that you can go further. One is the book Thriving in Babylon by our friend Larry Osborne, big impact on our church. He's a pastor and an author, and what's awesome is he gave us permission to use the title for the series but if you want to go further, this book covers all the ground, and it is his best book, in my opinion, and he's written a lot of good ones. And he's going to come here week four of this series to preach. So he's going to be preaching, and it's going to be great that day, and you can, you can hear even more about that. You can pick up the book at the Hub. If we run out of them, and I hope we do, because I want you all to read the book, then order it online. And then the other thing is we do a podcast here, and it drops midweek each week, Wednesday or Thursday, the podcast drops. Go ahead and get it on your phone. And, and I'm always interviewing people on there, but during this series, each week we're going to dive deeper into how to thrive in Babylon. And we're going to have different unique voices like groups of them. So this week I'll be talking to several people on the podcast, going further into the theology, into how we can do this. Okay, so let's dive in. I need to give you a quick history lesson to get us started. During this series, we're gonna, there's a lot of Old Testament books that deal with the event And the subsequent events known as the Babylonian exile of God's people. That was a big deal. It's like the exodus. Here's another one of those big things that happened that's so earth shattering in the Old Testament that it takes a lot of ground to cover it. And so a lot of guys write on a lot of these prophets were happening around this time. But the three we're going to deal with, the three books of your Old Testament, we're going to deal with Jeremiah. Jeremiah was the prophet that could see the Babylonian exile coming, and he tried to warn God's people. Hey, if you don't turn back to God, this is going to happen. He's known as the weeping prophet because of that. We're going to look at Habakkuk, one of my favorite names. If any of you are looking for a name for your kid, if you're maybe having a kid in the next few years, I'm still waiting for someone to drop that one. That's a good one. Um, if you want a good, strong Bible name, Habakkuk's the one you're looking for. Habakkuk is a prophet that didn't see it coming. He tries to make sense of it when, when it happens. He tries to tell the people, here's why this happened. He's important. We're going to deal with him. And then wouldn't it be good if, the, if in the Babylonian exile, if we could have followed a faithful person who woke up in Babylon and they, they really were faithful, but they ended up caught up in the discipline of God with their nation. And wouldn't it be cool if we could follow that person while they navigated all that? Well, we have that guy. His name's Daniel. And so throughout the series, we're going we're to gonna kind of dance within those three spots. Why did it happen? What happened? And then see someone actually live it out. That's what we're going to do. So Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, he's trying to warn Israel. Because remember, Israel had 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 a pretty good run. They come out of Egypt. They end up eventually in the promised land where they win spectacular victories. They end up with a kingdom. They end up with a city, Jerusalem. They end up with Solomon's temple, the great Solomon. It goes Saul, then David, then Solomon. And Solomon makes them a world power. But then things got sideways and the people of God walked away from the living God and they went after idols. And I'm gonna tell you why that happened in just a minute because it's the same reason it happens today. And and so what's going to happen is God is going to allow, to discipline his people, this godless, powerful, but horrific nation called Babylon to take them over and take them into exile. And it's a disciplinary measure to get his people to turn back to him. Babylon's mentioned in your Bible over 200 times. It is a nation in the Old Testament, but it's also an idea It becomes symbolic with evil, wickedness, Satan, uh, idolatry. It's used throughout the New Testament, this idea. And so we can say that the same thing that was happening in Babylon then happened in the Roman Empire. The early church lived it out. It's happened throughout the ages at different times. And we see the spirit of Babylon still to this day, this rebellion against God, this turning against God. So Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, is trying to tell God's people what's going to happen. And in doing so, God is speaking directly through Jeremiah. And here's what God had to say to his people before the exile. Jeremiah 2.5, thus says the Lord, What wrong did your fathers find in me, that they went far from me and went after worthlessness and became worthless? Now, the Bible is always trying to reveal God to us. What does that tell you about God? Well, Can you hear how personal he takes it when we walk away from him, when we turn to other things? It's personal for him. So if you think God, if you're agnostic and you think God just kind of stands over here and lets the world happen, but he doesn't really interact with us, well, then that's not, that's not what this says. This says God takes it personal. He's intimate with us. He says to Jeremiah, go ask the people, what did I ever do wrong to them that they would ever walk away from me? I rescued them from Egypt. I provided for them in the desert. I gave them the land. I gave them victories. They wanted a king. I gave them a king. Over and over again, I have been faithful. Tell me one promise I've never kept to them. Tell me one time I've ever broken my word. Couldn't he ask us the same question? Couldn't he ask our nation the same question? The modern church the same question? And he says, why would you walk away from me Watch this, after worthlessness and then become worthless. In other words, that's what it does to us. Twists us, changes us when we do that. He goes on, verse 11. Has a nation changed its gods? That's it, there it is. That's what they had done. They had changed its gods. Look at this indictment. Even though they are no gods. In other words, he says, I'm the only God. So Any other thing you're calling God is not God. But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain, fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. You hear what he's saying? He's saying, I'm the living water. Not only did they reject me, they've gone and tried to make their own little gods. Little cisterns that are broken. They can't even hold water. Now, I just, before we move on, I want you to feel the punch of a personal living God because I think much like Israel, we can get into, oh, we just live in life and our vacations and our kids are in school and and baseball and soccer and we just live our little lives and I'm in it too. We're just living our little lives and we forget, hey, God is a real and living God. He cares about us. He has commands, not suggestions. He's a king, he wears a crown. He's authority in our lives. The Israelites had become far too comfortable and began to just do their own thing. And God takes it personally. And what we see here, write it down, is that the Israelites had traded the living God for false gods. And here's very important for you to understand. If you get into the history of it, read the book, you'll see more about it. They had specifically traded him for gods that would allow them to live the way they wanted. That's the big kicker. Why do we turn away from God? Why did Israel turn away from God? Because the living God tells you what to do. And we don't like that. The living God tells us what to do. And so, so what Israel did is they said, hey, if we make our own gods, we can do what we want to do because we'll just make our God like what we do. That, that was what the Babylonians had done. That, that's what the Baal worshipers had done. They made gods that fit what they wanted. And by the way, Your version of Christianity that doesn't match with the Bible is just as godless as Baal was in the Old Testament. Your version of Jesus that's not the Jesus of the Bible, you know the one, the one that we come up with, the Jesus that's all, man, give me a granola bar. It's all good. We just love who you love, man. I love everybody, man. You know that Jesus? Hey, the Jesus that never tells you what to do The Jesus that's okay with you doing whatever you want, living whatever you want to do, doing marriage how you want, sexuality how you want, doing everything you want. That Jesus, that's not Jesus. You made him up. You might as well have a little bobblehead doing like this in your car all the time. Let that be your God. Because our God actually tells us stuff, doesn't he? He has authority. In Jeremiah 2, 21 to 23, he says to his people, I planted you, listen to this terminology, you'll, you'll remember that Jesus will use the same language talking to us about vine and branches. I planted you a choice vine, holy of pure seed. How then have you turned degenerate and become a wild vine? Though you wash yourself with lye and use much soap. In other words, he's saying, y'all, y'all are trying to be religious. You're trying to come up with your own little religion. He says, the stain of your guilt is still before me, declares the Lord God, because we all know we can't wash ourselves, right? Verse 23, how can you say I'm not unclean? That I've not gone after the bales. That's false gods. Look at your way in the valley and watch. He's going he's to give an illustration for what his people look like now to him. Know what you have done. You're like a restless young camel running here and there. And, and the original language Tells us what that is, and I'm going to to help you understand what it is. Because we live here in the south where there's a lot of hunters. How many hunters do I have in the room? Just raise your hand, you hunters and outdoorsmen and all that. So I grew up doing that. I like to be in the woods. And there's something that we all know that happens every year. So at the beginning of the year, and this is the way I see it playing out, okay? In my mind, I see that all the deer get together before deer season. They're hanging out. And all the big bucks, they walk in, right? They're the uncles, the granddad's. And they got all these young bucks, little bucks, little spikes, little bitty bucks. And they say to them, hey, guys, we are very loving the gentlemen of our tribe here. And we want you guys to have all the food at the beginning of the season. (laughs) So we're going to hang back because we've, hey, we've lived. I mean, look at these horns. You guys, we want to take care of y'all. Y'all go out and eat and enjoy yourselves. And then the boys are like, man, these guys are awesome. And as they roll out into the patches, big bucks are looking, looking at each other like, hmm. these guys. And so that's how it goes for a few months, right? And those of you who are hunters, you know, you got these little bucks coming out. They're all, everything's good. You never see the big boys because they're all hanging out back, back in the woods. But we all know there's this time of the year that happens when the big bucks lose their minds. And it's the only way you ever see them. The rest of the time, they're all coming out at midnight. There comes a time where when the sun's out, they're out. Sun's out, gun's out. Here comes the big bucks. And, and it's because they're looking for a girlfriend. And their biology clicks on them. And like animals do, they, they just go crazy. They're running all over the place. I've been in the woods before and seen just big bucks just, just running as hard as he can. It's almost like he's looking at me. I've made noises before and they're like, hey, and keep going. <laughs> What's going on? Watch this. God says to his people, that's what you're like. He says, you're like a camel in heat. You're acting like animals. Can't control yourselves. You have urges, so you run after your urges. That is the culture of Babylon. That's the spirit of Babylon. It was going on in Israel then. It goes on in our nation now. If I've got an urge, I go fulfill it. I want it, I go get it. We run. Well, that's what I want. I got to go have what I want. I can't control myself. Love who you love. Have your version of truth. That is the world we wake up in, isn't it? And so God brings his indictment. God will not share his throne. Just know that, write it down. He will not share his throne. When you belong to him, when you are his children, he will not share his throne. So he will discipline you like any good dad will, and that's what he does. He allows Babylon to win the battle of Jerusalem and take most of the population into slavery, into Babylonian slavery. And it's horrific. It's not fun. I opened the front door of my house when my senior in high school now was three years old. opened the front door. We lived on a busy street over in Florida. And my little boy took off running, took off running straight for the street. He thought that was funny. And I tackled him. It was textbook. It looked good. I put him on the ground. I did not stand there and go, hey, bud, don't do that. There wasn't time for that. There was busy. There was cars coming both ways. He's running straight for the road. Uh, I didn't say to him, hey, buddy, there's a corner with your name on it. If you don't stop running, stop it. No, I didn't do that. I also didn't say, well, son, far be it from me to stand in your way of what you want. Clearly, this is what you want. Love who you love, man. Do what you do. I'm not going to stand your way. I'm just going to cheer you. I'm going to cheer you on to do whatever your heart desires. No, I didn't do that. No, I tackled. Three years old, he's crying. Uh, he and I both tumble in the yard. And most of you in this room would say, well done, dad. Well done. Because if not, you know, he's not graduating high school this year. He's on the front of some Corolla that was coming down the road. Seriously. Because that's what was about to happen. I didn't have time for all that. Because I loved him and would give my own life for him, I had to grab him fast. Literally grab my son and fall on the ground before he hit that road. Because I'm a a dad who cares about my son. Why would God let the Babylonian empire take over his people for 70 plus years? Because he loved them. And because he knew exactly what it would take to turn them back to him. This is how God works. Now, the problem is there are people who get caught up in that that are faithful, that love God. The church gets caught up in the judgment that goes on and we're seeing a lot of that happen right now, okay? We get caught up and you're like, well, why? Why are we in the middle of this? Worried about the world my kids are gonna grow up in and all that. I just want you to know that God, not only did he allow his people to go into exile for disciplinary purposes, but he also gave them a road map for how not just to survive, but how to thrive in Babylon. I want you to know that. Not just to survive it, but how to thrive in it. And that's where we're going to spend some time. Because remember, Jeremiah's going to tell us what's going on, but Daniel's going to live it. We're going to see that in a minute. Habakkuk's going to help us understand. But the first thing we get, Jeremiah's warning the people, warning the people, warning the people. And then we know that the exile happens. Nebuchadnezzar is going to come and win the battle and it's going to be bad. He's going to tear Jerusalem to the ground. But before that happens, Jeremiah, God says, okay, I'm going to do this. And here's what I want you to tell my people. When they wake up in Babylon, here's my roadmap for them. Oh, now we're getting somewhere, aren't we? Wouldn't y'all like to know? What do we do when we wake up in a Babylonian type world, which is what we're waking up in? And... And we want to run to Facebook and blast the world and and shout at the government and take down the leaders and get mad about it and build our echo chambers and run to our little news channel or our little podcast or listen to our news talking head. And let me just help you here. Whatever news talking head you like, it's all come out. There's information out there on both sides. They all, after about seven o'clock at night, if that person's on TV talking to you, they're making millions on top of millions, keeping you scared and mad on every side so i want this to be my truth amen church god what do you say to us when we wake up in a world like that here's the roadmap jeremiah 29 4 through 7 thus says the lord of hosts the god of israel to all the exiles whom i have sent into exile from jerusalem to babylon we're going to have a whole day on that phrase who who did he say sent them Who was it that tackled my son in the yard that day to keep him from being run over in the highway? His daddy. Who sent Israel into exile into Babylon? Their daddy did. That's right. And he owns it. But he says, to all of you exiles, you're waking up in Babylon in that terrible world, here's what you do, verse five. Might surprise you. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Watch this, multiply there and do not decrease but seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find your welfare. I see nothing about going on to the Babylonian Facebook and blasting Nebuchadnezzar. See, that's where this will make you uncomfortable because sometimes God doesn't agree with us. He's got a different plan. But what I see here is hope. I see here a hopeful plan. What in the world's happening here? His, his people wake up in a horrific world and you know what he tells them? Listen to this, write it down. He commands his people to go live full lives to his glory inside of that bad situation. That's what he just told them to do. Think about this. God can do more than one thing at once. You've heard that phrase, uh, can you walk and chew bubble gum at the same time? Okay? Well, God can, trust me. And he can, watch this, discipline his people while also turning where they are into a mission field. So what was the darkest place on earth during this time? Oh, it wasn't even close. It's Babylon. Babylon is satanic. And what does God do? God takes his people, the light on this earth and puts them right in the middle of it to discipline them and teach them. But also what he says to them is not only are you going to learn to turn back to me, you're going to learn to live for me in a dark world. By the way, this isn't new. What did he do with Joseph? Joseph ends up in Egypt. And does he say, get out of there as quick as you can? No, he leaves him there. And he says, just keep shining bright. I got you. I got you. Just keep being faithful. I got you. And before long, Joseph's like, whoa, I'm the vice president. Okay? And here and Dan, Daniel and his boys are going to do the same thing. Now, before you think that what I'm telling you is, because you may walk out of here and go, great. Pastor Chris, Pastor Chris going woke. He doesn't want us getting mad about anything. Oh, no, 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 no. Don't listen, listen, listen. And I use that word. I would never use that word except I knew it would get a reaction. Don't worry, I don't use that word much. Because let me help you here. Because definitions, it's all subjective. Nothing means anything with all that. I want the word. Give me the truth. I don't want to, I don't want to toy around with all that stuff. Okay. But, but here's what I want you to understand. I want you to understand that if you think Daniel and his buddies are weak, then you don't know what it's like to be thrown into a lion's den because you stood for your faith. Oh, he knows how to draw the line, and he will draw the line. Do you think old King Nebi, old crazy Nebi, is going to throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into a fiery furnace because they were following his orders? Oh, they know when to draw the line. What you're going to see is that when the fight came to them, oh, they're willing to fight. They just didn't go looking for it. They stood when they needed to stand. But otherwise, they were going to be faithful and live full lives in front of their captors. That's what God says. And isn't it interesting when you look at what he said, one of the main things he wants his people to do is to display and model for the dark, satanic Babylonians. He wants them to model family and home and marriages and raising children and what it looks like to raise children that go and begin their families. Do you see this? God says, I'm sticking you in the darkest place on earth and I want you to show them what it looks like to live for me. Show them what it looks like to raise kids that love me. Show them what it looks like to have marriages that love each other and display the love of God because those Babylonians have never seen that. So you're about to show it to them. Show them what it looks like to live in joy. Show them that your God can sustain you even in the worst circumstances. Show them who I am. Build houses, plant gardens, live, eat, have joy. Right there in the middle of that. Now, I don't know about all y'all. I kind of like that. That gives me hope. That's a new way of living right there. See, God's command to his people also was a command for them to avoid several things that if we're not careful, we can run to in the situation we're in now. And I can too, by the way. Sometimes I get scared. Sometimes I get frustrated. Sometimes I get angry. I can't, okay, full disclosure, all right? I can't tell you how many times I've typed out things on Facebook and then deleted them and typed it out again about ready to send, delete. Because the Holy Spirit's like, ah, 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 ah. Any ever been there? Some of y'all probably should hit delete more than you do. I'm just helping you here. <laughs> because we have a different way that God's given us. God's command meant that we had to avoid escapism, bitterness, defeatism, and separatism. Escapism is, here's what the Israelites could have done. They could have said, surely God ain't gonna leave us here long. We can't stand these people. They're demonic. They're horrible. We're out of here. Well, they weren't out of there. They're going to, most of them will live their whole lives there. That's why God told them, get to living because you're not going anywhere anytime soon. Better get to living. I don't know if y'all know some like parachute factory somewhere that can take us straight to heaven, but the last time I saw it, it looks like you and I got to live here for a while. So let's get to it, right? God's got us here for a reason. So we can't just escape build little, I don't know where in the Bible we see New Testament or old that God says to bubble wrap ourselves as Christians so that we are totally safe. No, we're supposed to be engaging the world we're in. That's what he told his people to do. Not, not escape, but be a, be an active witness for him. Not only that, we're not supposed to get bitter. Look what he says. Now, If you think you've got every reason as a Christian to be mad about the world around you, you're not even on the playing field with the Israelites, with the Babylonians. The Babylonians destroyed their world. They tore down everything and took all the precious things out of the temple, and they tore it down and took it back with them. They're making fun. They're mocking their God. And not only that, they made them all slaves, the ones they didn't kill. And then they wake up there, and God tells his people... I want you to seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you. Pray to the Lord. Seek its welfare. You know what that means? That means that God wanted them to care for the Babylonians, to love the Babylonians. Because the Babylonians had fought enemies that shot back, but they had never seen anything like the Israelites, who once they took them over, began to serve them willingly and love them. Can you just imagine this? The first bunch of Israelites went down to the local Babylonian high school that had weeds growing, and they said, hey, do you all not have a landscape company? The Babylonian guy's like, no, we got it. Here comes the Israelites with their weed eaters. What's that? It's the Israelites are out there weed eating the high school? I'm just kidding. They didn't have weed eaters then. But they had these things with blades on them, like that's what God's saying. He said, seek, seek's active. Can't just pray, get out there and serve those people. Can you imagine the first time a Babylonian group, like a kid that they love died and they get a knock on the door it's a group of Israelites and they say, hey, we, we don't have much, but we are so sorry for your loss. And here we brought you some things out of our garden. We just, we just want you to know, Can you imagine that? They'd never seen anything like that. They didn't live like that. Can you imagine as they saw committed marriages and committed families right there in Babylon? That's what God wanted. No more bitterness, no more defeatism. Don't hang your head. He wanted Israel to live and show them that they trusted in their king no matter what. And separatism. No, no, no. He said, no, I want you to engage the culture around you. I want you to seek their welfare. That means get after it. Get out there loving them, caring for them and winning them. That's what it was all about. Boy, that's a different different thing, isn't it? So what happened on the ground? Like if you could follow a guy as he went through this, well, the Bible gives us that with Daniel. So now let's take a look at what happened as a person actually had to walk through this exile, had to walk through what was going on because it was horrific. And he's a teenager, by the way. Daniel's just a teenager. He's showing up on Wednesday nights to three circle students. He's that guy. He's that kid that, that you see around town. That's Daniel and his buddies. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. That means he tore it down and he won. Verse 3, The king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, good appearance, skillful in all wisdom. That means they had to be interviewed. Endowed with knowledge, understanding, and learning. competent to stand in the king's palace. Watch this. Teach them. This is indoctrination, by the way. And to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. The chief of the units gave them new names. Daniel, he called Belshazzar. Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Meshel, he called Meshach. And Azariah, he called Abednego. Huh. This is as bad as it gets. They have been ripped out of their homes. They are being indoctrinated with a new educational system that teaches them everything against their God, forced. They are trying to wipe out their identity, get rid of their names. By the way, this isn't unprecedented. We did it to entire generations of African Americans in American slavery. Give them new names, make them assimilate, indoctrinate, teach, all that. So we've done this is this is the spirit of Babylon throughout the ages, y'all. This isn't new, it's not unprecedented, but let's be honest about what happened here. Write it down. Daniel faced leadership that was corrupt. He faced an educational system that was corrupt and evil, and a hostile spiritual environment. All of that. Does that ring a bell for anybody? All the things that we feel, that we think are new, that that Satan's been doing this stuff for a long, long time. The attacks have been there. One other thing you need to know, without going into great detail, but most scholars and theologians are in agreement that, that if this didn't happen, it would be the exception, not the rule. Most probably, Daniel and his buddies were also turned into eunuchs, because that's what those kings did with these young men that they got close. You can go Google that if you want. But what I want you to understand is that means that on top of names being changed and total indoctrination, they were dehumanized physically. They were maimed for life. It's why you don't see sons and daughters of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Okay. Does it get any worse? That's what they wake up with. And yet, here's what the Bible says Daniel did. But Daniel. All that happens. But Daniel resolved. Everybody say resolved. Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food because remember, Israelites had dietary codes, didn't they? So he's like, here's some, they took everything else away from me and I can't change all that, but I can do this. They can control my circumstances in many ways, but I control my character. So he resolved in his heart he wouldn't defile himself with the king's food. So Daniel's not weak or with the wine that he drank, therefore he, but here's the other side. He asked, the chief of the eunuchs, to allow him not to defile himself. Now, what do you see here? Oh, man. What you see, write it down, is Daniel is following God's roadmap immediately that he gave us. That's what it looks like for him. For him to live a full life in front of them and to engage and not be bitter and angry, but also not acquiesce and not assimilate and be who he is, he, in his heart, he decides, they'll have to kill me before I eat that food. He's going to prove later he'll put his life on the line. Hello, lions, den, they eat people. He's not scared. But instead of just going, hey, I won't eat your food, you bunch of demonic Babylonians. Instead of going on Facebook and going, Daniel, after all the horrors, goes to the head eunuch, by the way, who would have been the one who ordered it all. He's the one that ripped away his identity and maybe more, and he looks at him and he says, I'm asking you with respect, please give me permission. Does that make him weak? Does that make him not not strong? He's not fighting hard enough? No, what it makes him is faithful. Because he looks at that eunuch and he's saying, I'm not eating your food, you have to kill me. But I'm not going to start there, I'm not looking for a fight. What I want to do is treat you with respect. I'm asking you to treat me with some. And do you know that the eunuch grants his request? And the story begins. And God begins to do stuff that you'd never think he could do in the middle of a dark, dark place. Jesus told us in Matthew that we should light our lamps and not put them under baskets, but put them up on a stand and give light to the whole house. He says, let your light shine before others so that they will see your good works and give glory to your father who's in heaven. Think about that. Why are we here in this time right now? To shine light. Dale Moody once said, lighthouses just shine light. They don't ask permission to and they don't need to tell everyone that they are light. They just shine. You can see that it's light. That's what Daniel did. He just started shining light. And here's what I think. I'm just going to leave you with this. Can I just, can I just tell you what I think, and, and I've given you all the word, but I think this might happen. I think we're if you're a Christian, you're going to be in heaven one day. You're going to die. You're going to go to heaven. And I think we're going to end up there, and we're going to see these people that are Babylonians. There's going to be Babylonians in heaven. You're going to go over to them and go, hey, are you a Babylonian? Yes, I am. And, I mean, I think the question's going to be, well, how did, how did you get here? Daniel. I'm sorry, what? Daniel. I met Daniel years ago. This guy came and they, they took everything from him and we watched that guy never break. And he loved us and he cared for I'd never seen anything like it. And I watched those Israelites marry and we didn't even have weddings. We were just terrible. We did child sacrifice, us Babylonians, and we watched them love their babies and care for people and we had these beautiful weddings. And then they committed to each other. We'd never seen anything like it. Then they served us. And and one day, I thought, if there's a God, who can do that with someone, then He must be the real God. So here I am. I don't know if that's what's going to happen. I think it's possible though. What if God wants us to make a bigger difference than we realize by following His roadmap? Amen, church? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Please do with it what I simply can't. Bring it alive for people in their hearts. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.